Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 112 and we are recording on January 2nd. 2018. What, what? I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! New Year! It's too cold! (laughs) Oh my god, it is! You're just right. It's the most cold here. It was so cold last night that my cats crawled under the blankets to sleep, (laughs) like, in the bed, which they've never done before. Yeah, feels like eight here in Philadelphia, just FYI. I don't know what those numbers mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't really, we don't generally get into the single digits here, um... It's 18 degrees right now, though, which is enough that, like, all the errands that I was going to run today are just not happening. Like, I'm not... I don't need those medications. You don't need milk, son. Just drink water. Like, it's fine. I'm not going anywhere. Come on. Come on. It's not happening. Anyway, so what are you reading now in 2018? Yeah, my first... I mean, it's not actually my first book of 2018. It was kind of my last book of 2017. I let myself do a reread, which I just don't have time for, but I was like, it's December 31st. I'm going to reread something. So I picked up Sunshine by Robin McKinley, which is my... probably my absolute favorite vampire novel. Um... It's about a a young woman who's like in her early 20s who's a baker at this coffee shop and she like like the whole opening is about cinnamon rolls and her making cinnamon rolls um but she also lives in this world where there are like demons and vampires and magic and whatnot and she gets kidnapped by a bunch of vampires um and delivered to this like old decrepit house where they have another vampire chained up and like this vampire the other ones are afraid of and she's like I'm gonna die and then they escape and like things unravel from there um it's just so good it's so good like I was obsessed with Robin McKinley as a teenager and a few of her books have like come with me into adulthood and sunshine I reread it like every couple years so good I just got beauty from a um like I just bought it oh at yeah a book outlet had a big sale. I think it was for um, Black Friday and it was among, you know, the stack of 20 books that I didn't need that I bought because they were $4 or whatever. Yeah. So, But I'm really excited to try Robin McKinley. She, she rewrote Beauty and the Beast like four times and a couple okay. of them are good and a couple of them are less good. And I can't remember which were the ones that I liked more. Um, some tenacity, some, some rewriting. She is like really into rewritten fairy tales, particularly Beauty and the Beast. I remember like as a kid, like finding like a stack and being like wait did I read this no she just re- <laughs> she reread it again okay here we go but I do I do love her stuff so um okay well I am reading A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab I just started it and this is her um adult trilogy yes it's a fantasy trilogy um about a guy a guy a, guy, a magician named <laughs> Kel who I'm only like a quarter of the way into it so I don't have a lot going on and I did not read any synopses before um I picked it up. Oh, nice. I just have heard the, you know, buzz mm-hmm. about the, the series. Um, but so far, uh, he's a magician who can travel between, I guess they're dimensions or like connected 
worlds where it's like it's London it's the city of London but three different or four different versions of London where like in one of them magic doesn't exist anymore and it's kind of like our London as we know it now uh, and then in another one like red London there's still magic and in white London there it, there's magic but it's like destroying the world and there's all of these different um you know shades of magic hey oh hey. that's the name of the series um and then he can travel he is like he's an adopted son of the royal family in the the London that he exists in um, and he's the also like one of the only I think two known magicians who can travel between the worlds freely. Uh, well, not freely. He has to like make a personal blood sacrifice every time he does it, um, which sounds annoying. Um, and then it also, so I've met him, and then I've met a pirate woman named Lila. Sorry, like who, blood sacrifice, so annoying. Sounds, sounds annoying so that annoying. you have to like consistently be like, oh God, now I gotta cut my art again because I like wanted to go to the grocery store. That's not true. He's not going to the grocery store. These are like important areas. Uh, but he's also a smuggler, which he's not supposed to do, so that's real bad. And then Lila, who's the second character, uh, is a pirate who's like. Very, you know, she's very piratical or whatever. Or she wants to be a pirate, but she's actually like a petty thief and is wanted in uh, the Grey London, the London where magic doesn't exist. And she meets him at this like pub where she's like hiding from the man because <laughs> she's burned down a ship anyway. And then they go off on adventures. I have not gotten to the adventures part yet. I'm liking it a lot. The chapters are too short for my mm. liking though. So like I'll read, they're like three pages and then oh. it switches perspectives and I'm like, ah, stop it. Um, but I also can't stop. And it actually reminds me of Dan Brown a little bit like that. I mean, it's better, you know, whatever. I love Dan Brown, but it's better written than Dan Brown. Um, but it is reminding me of that, like, okay, well, you just, you give me a tidbit and now I have to continue. And I'm a little mad at you about it, mm-hmm. but I'm still here. Like that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So that's, that's my V.E. Schwab feelings right now. Anyway, so how the show works. Like I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you have joined a book club in 2018 and you don't know what books to suggest, we can help you with that. Or if you have resolved to read more XYZ uh, XYZ genres this year um, and you need recommendations, we are here for that also. So you can send your reading recommendation request to us via email at getbooktobookwrite.com or you can just drop them in the form that is at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Uh, if your question is time sensitive, do let us know in the subject line of the email or in the first line of your paragraph request if you're using the form so that we can try to get to it on time. Um, if we're not going to get to it on time or your question has already been answered on the show, we will email you back instead of answering it on the show. So keep an eye on your inbox. And that is how Get Booked works. Also, I wanted to quickly mention that we are doing a really big giveaway on the site. It's our 20 favorite books of last year, of 2017. Uh, We did a big, you know, roundup post of the best books of the year in December, uh, and we picked the top 20, uh, the 20 that the contributors voted the most on, because we did that post based, like, an internal nomination system. Uh, And so we collected 20 of the best together, and we are giving them away to one reader. The giveaway is open until... January 14th, so you can go to the site to enter. It's like, my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris and Sherman Alexie's new memoir, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, When Dimple Met Rishi by Sana Menon. Like, there's, it's a big mix of genres, nonfiction, fiction, YA, adult. Uh, there's something there for everybody. And, of course, these are all really excellent books. So you can go to bookriot.com slash bookriottop20 to enter. Okay, Jen's going to read our first question, tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will roll. All right. So our first question is from Bianca, who says, I love reading about people from different countries or people currently living in different countries and would love a recommendation. I'm trying to find something that isn't about war or racism, maybe something a little more lighthearted if that exists. I love both fiction and nonfiction, and I'm very open to translated works, poetry, plays, short story collections, etc." 
Interesting question. Okay, so before we get into that, our very first sponsor is As You Wish by Chelsea Sadati. And this book explores the question, what if you could wish for anything and actually get it? It takes place in a little town uh, called Madison in the Mojave Desert. Uh, It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, which is good because the town has a big secret. Um, On their 18th birthday, everyone in town um, or anyone in town can make a wish on their birthday. And that wish always comes true. And so the main character, Eldon, uh, is about to turn 18. He has seen his classmates deciding what they're going to be wishing for for like months or years. But he has seen how wishes have hurt his family and the people around him. His parents' marriage is not great. His sister is like kind of just disappearing. Um, His ex-girlfriend is dating his ex-friend. Like things are not amazing. Um, And he has 26 days to figure out what to do with his wish. Uh, So this is a book that is great for discussion. Um, If you have a book club, you could talk about what you would wish for, what would the consequences of that wish be. That would be a fun one. Um, And it also addresses important teenage issues like choice and consequences, family dynamics, friendship, plus, of course, a nice dash of magical realism. So if you are a fan of Jennifer Niven, Jandy Nelson, Ava Delera, you like the idea of playing around with wishes and wish fulfillment, this is definitely something you should check out. So that is As You Wish by Chelsea Sadati. And I'm just going to keep talking. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> this first question, I, I really, I could not think of a book that wasn't about war or racism that took place <laughs> in a different country. So I took it to the contributor core. Um, and Rebecca came through with a book I have got to read. I didn't have time over the break, but I'm really excited to pick it up. It's The Woman Next Door by Yuande Omatoso. And this book, it does have like a light race related theme because it takes place in Johannesburg. But according to Rebecca, it is basically if the Golden Girls was set in Johannesburg um, in South Africa and is about a like frenemy type relationship between an older black woman and an older white woman. And it like takes their lives and problems as older women actually seriously and is super funny. So like Grace and Frankie in a post apartheid country, which is, I know exactly (laughs) like so sold. I'm super sold. Um, So yeah, they're both recent women. Widows, um, they like share a hedge, like their neighbors, um, and they have like they like are like battling over their you know backyard space. Um, and then one day, an unforeseen event forces them to sort of join forces. Um, and is it like is it too late for them to change? Like, what are their lives going to be like? And what are their lives like now as older women living alone? So yeah, that that is definitely like it will deal with some race issues, but it's much more lighthearted. Um, and I just cannot wait to read it. Like. I need I need this book. So that's The Woman Next Door by Yawanda Omotoso. Okay, I picked The Rabbit Back Literature Society, which takes place in Finland. It's by Pasi Ilmari Jaskalainen and is translated by Lola Rogers um, from the Finnish, one assumes. That's a language, yes? Okay. Um, so there's so much is happening in this book, and it's like such a trip. It's a mystery, and there's also um, some magical realism and weird stuff happening in the snow because Finland. Uh, So the main character's name is Ella. She's a literature teacher in this really small town in Finland. Uh, And she 
is accepted into this literary society, uh, which is run by an author, a famous children's author named Laura White, who lives in this little town. And she's like super famous. She's, I don't even, like the Madeline Langle of this universe where this book takes place. And she lives in this small town and she's created this society of a, like an elite group of writers that she has handpicked. And together, this group of writers play what they call the game, which is this like really mysterious ritual. So Ella joins the society at the same time that Laura... White, the children's author, disappears in this, like, bizarre Snow Queen disappearance, like, at the bottom of her stairs at this party that she's having. Like, the door is open, and snow rushes in, and swirls around her, and then she's gone. And so, and everybody just kind of takes it as, like, well, guess Laura's gone. Like, it's all very odd. Um, And while all of that is going on, there's a book virus that's going through the library in town, changing the endings and the plots to well-known pieces of literature um and so uh, ella is trying to figure out like what happened to laura because snow queen thing is not real uh what is up with this book virus and also what is the game like why do all of these authors play this like weird mysterious thing and it's actually like a treatise on creativity a little bit so you're following a couple different threads trying to figure out what's going on um in this world and since it takes place in finland Uh, There's a lot of, like, the food is really interesting, the parties are really interesting, the weather is just freezing cold, which now that I'm saying that out loud might not be a great thing to read right now, depending (laughs) on where you live. Um, But I really enjoyed it. Like, it's it's a trip. Uh, It's not like any kind of mystery that I've ever read. And it is, it's lighthearted, but there are parts of it where, like, like a child disappears at one point. So it's not, it's not all fun and games and weird eccentric writer types doing weird creative rituals there is like some serious stuff that happens um but it's not about war so there you go <laughs> so that's the rabbit back literature society by Pasi ilmari Jaskalainen. okay i think i am up okay question two is from megan um who says i'm looking for recommendations for my book club we're all women ranging in age from mid-20s to mid-60s and have read everything from literary fiction to romance to sci-fi fantasy we've only been meeting for the past six months so we're still figuring out what type of books work best Right now, we've read Where'd You Go Bernadette, which everyone really enjoyed. Small Great Things, which most people liked. Elsie and Mari Go to War. Awful. Didn't even finish it. Uh, Exit West, another strong pick. And When Diplomat Rishi, which was good, but not substantial enough. And God, A Human History. Haven't discussed it yet, but from our group emails, I think it's too academic. Um, So contemporary fiction with interesting, strong female protagonists seems to be our sweet spot. We have the Mother's Honor to Read list, as well as A Gentleman in Moscow, My Cousin Rachel, and The Summer Before the War. We read diversely and don't shy away from difficult or sensitive subjects. Nonfiction is okay, but we've read a decent amount amount lately and prefer adult to YA. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going. I picked kind of a deep cut. This is very backlisty. It's White Oleander by Janet Fitch, which came out in 1999, I'm pretty sure, um, and was subsequently made into a movie starring Michelle Pfeiffer, which who is like so well cast in this book. Um, so it's about a, a little girl. Well, she starts off the book as a little girl uh, named Astrid, whose mother is, her mother is Ingrid. She's this beautiful, brilliant, like ice queen poet who they live in the West Coast. Uh, they live in California, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, And Ingrid is, like, untouchable and famous and, like, everyone loves her and worships at her feet and this kind of thing. And then she falls in love with this kind of, like, garbage man who breaks her heart and then mysteriously dies. And Ingrid is arrested for his murder. Um, And she's convicted. This all happens, like, very quickly in the beginning, so these are not spoilers. (laughs) She's convicted 
um, and sentenced to life in prison. So she stay, she's in prison. Astrid is 12 at the time that she goes into jail, and so then she is put into the foster, the foster system in L.A. Um, she bounces from home to home, and it's from, like, terrible home to good home to terrible home to really terrible home. So it's not like this... I don't know, cautionary tale about foster care or whatever, like capital letters, cautionary tale about foster care. But um, a lot of the people that she interacts with are terrible because that's kind of the truth of what happens. Um, so she, she like the characters that she stays with, the first family that she gets placed with is like this Bible thumping, I'm using air quotes here, trailer trash kind of people. And in the movie, Robin Wright Penn plays the, the like, matriarch of this. I know, but it's amazing. Like it, her, her like accent is hilarious. Um, and then she bounces out of that home into a home uh, with a failing actress who's got a really happy marriage, but she's struggling with depression herself. And all this time, like while Astrid is, is growing up and you follow her from like 12 years old up into her adulthood, um, Ingrid, her mother, is like in prison in the background pulling all these strings and manipulating all these foster parents to make sure that Astrid becomes the woman she wants her to be. Like it's just this like super complicated and weird mother-daughter tale. Also, um, I don't know that I would say like it's a 100% factual look at what it's like to be in the foster care system, but foster care is of course difficult a lot of the times for a lot of people. So I don't know. It was just fascinating to me. Um, and Ingrid is such an interesting character. Like she's beyond unlikable, but, it, but she's not archetypally evil. She's not just like this villainous that, you know, I don't know, like she's a person, but she's also a, kind of a sociopath, <laughs> but she's brilliant. So you kind of like her, but you don't like her because sociopath, it's complicated. You're going to have some complicated feelings. There's a lot to talk about here is what I'm saying. Uh, and then you can go watch the movie. So that's White Oleander by Janet Fitch. I picked, well, it's 2018. It's a new year. We're starting a new spreadsheet so I can pick Homegoing by yeah, yeah. Jesse. Oh, yeah. Well, you didn't <laughs> mention it and it is perfect for your book group. It's so good. Um, in case you haven't heard, uh, Homegoing going is a multi-generational novel that starts in Ghana about 300 years ago and then moves forward in time from there. It starts with two half-sisters, Effia and Essie, who are born into different villages in 18th century Ghana. And one of them uh, marries an Englishman and lives in like this, you know, castle on the Cape. Um, and of course, they are engaged in the slave trade and she like knows that's going on, but that's not her life. Um, and then her sister, her half sister, Essie, unbeknownst to her, is um, imprisoned and then sold with a, a ton of others and shipped off to America. Um, so you have and then you follow their descendants through time. So you have this really fascinating and like also so hard, but you said you're down with hard stuff, um, but like very hard look at, you know, Africa and what it was like there from the 1800s on, specifically in Ghana, and then in America, like what happened to um, Essie and her children as they like move forward in time. And so it's this incredibly sweeping book, but and there's you, you've you, the chapters are kind of short and you follow a ton of characters, but I really felt like she juggled it beautifully. And and this is a debut novel, which always boggles my mind. Like the fact that this is her first book and she managed to like get 300 years worth of, you know, black African and American history into a beautiful novel that like just sucks you in and you feel like, you know, these people and you, you know, you care about what happens to them and you watch them grow and change and watch 
watch their descendants grow and change. Like, it's really stunning. Um, and I think it's an ideal book group pick. Um, I always think it's like a lot longer than it is, but it's only 300 pages. Also boggles my mind. I cannot believe. So you could definitely do it in a month. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, people will have a lot of feelings. There's a lot of like outside resources you could bring in. Like it is just the perfect book group book. And it's also just a book that everybody should read. So that's Homegoing by Yeah Jesse. Oh, and it's me again. Okay, the next question is from Rachel, who says, I'll be moving to the Bay Area soon for a software engineering program, and I'm a little nervous about feeling lonely slash missing home. I'd love some recommendations for escapist slash comforting reads and or fiction with an awesome female lead and or books set in San Francisco. <laughs> I've been reading through the October Day series by Shauna McGuire and have enjoyed them. I'm also planning to take Sourdough by Robin Sloan with me. I enjoy most sci-fi fantasy and read a lot of literary fiction as well. Some of my favorite authors are Miriam Toes, Mary Doria Russell, Peter Heller, and Connie Willis. Uh, what you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked a romance for this one because um, you do seem to read pretty widely, and so I thought that would be like a fun change. Uh, so I picked Wallbanger by Alice Clayton, which has the best cover <laughs> ever. Um, it's basically what the title is, but on the cover. I don't know. Like, reading in a public made me very blushy. I'll just say that. Um, so the main character's name is Caroline. Uh, she has moved into a new apartment in San Francisco, and she works for, mm, I think it's an interior decorator. Anyway, she started this job, and she's moved into this new apartment in the Bay Area, and her life is, like, exciting, and she's excited to, like, not date, like, go on a hiatus from dating, focus on her job and her new apartment and all this kind of thing. And then her neighbor, who she's never actually seen, um, starts having really loud and obnoxious sex against her wall. <laughs> like, their beds must face, like, must face the same wall. And every night, it's just loud and terrible. It, like, shakes her bed frame. And it's a different woman every night, as far as Caroline can tell from the sounds. that, And she, like, gives them nicknames. It's hilarious. And then one night, she gets, like, so just done. Like, she, it's rude. Um, she's created this whole, like, headcanon in her brain about who this guy is and what, like, a terrible person he must be to have this constant parade of women through his apartment with, like, no concern for his neighbors. So she rushes over there in her pajamas, which is actually, like, a pink nighty, because, of course, uh, and, like, bangs on the door really loudly, getting ready to tell him off, and he opens the door, and of course he's, like, gorgeous and a little mortified, because <laughs> I think, if I remember correctly in the book, he didn't realize she had moved in. I don't remember. Anyway, um, they don't get along. Like, he does not appreciate being interrupted in the middle of his activities uh, to be yelled at by a crazy neighbor lady, and so they have this, like, instant frenemy thing where there's, like, obvious sexual tension between the two of them, but also... They don't like each other at all. Um, they, but then they keep like running into each other out in San Francisco. They start running and they run in kind of the same social circles. Um, so they become friends, and I'm sure you can tell where this is going. But the thing that I really like about this book is like it's so like lighthearted and hilarious. The two of them and their their banter is really great, and the things that they do to go about like denying their affection for each other are hilarious and there's a lot of like food involved there's there's really sexy cooking in one scene that I remember that's really great um bread is thrown it's just great like it's funny <laughs> um the premise is kind of like why would you want to get with a guy who has is like loud and has a never-ending parade of obnoxious people and <laughs> that sounds like the worst but he's charming like he's charming and um the way that he explains who all of these women are. Like, it's they're just adults having consexual sex. Like, it's fine, you know? Like, her, her hang-ups and her kind of prudish attitude toward him is really taken down a notch, which I kind of appreciate it, because as long as he's, like, 
it's not the parade of women that's the problem. It's the loud in the middle of the night that's a problem. But she seems to complain the two. Anyway, it's really funny. And they travel throughout the city quite a bit. So San Francisco is a nice kind of sub-character in it. So that's Wallbanger by Alice Clayton, which is the first in a series of romances um, that all are named after cocktails and are all really suggestive and hilarious. So have fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I picked a sci-fi San Francisco read for you. It's A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. Um, I went through a really intense Christopher Moore phase in like the early 2000s, and this one is my favorite. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it is about a man named Charlie whose wife um, dies in childbirth and he is left to raise their like brand new daughter. Um, he is he runs a secondhand store, and this doesn't sound like it would be funny. Like it starts off sad, um, but the weird thing that happens is Charlie suddenly like sees certain objects glowing, and people start to like other people start to die around him, and it turns out that he has been recruited by death to be like an agent of death and he then and then like they're like you know irish gods like coming into the mix and there's a great battle in the sewers of san francisco and his daughter turns out to be like special in a very surprising way um and he has this young woman who works for him at the store who is hysterical it has like some really entertaining like you ask for female leads and this isn't a female lead but it has excellent female characters in it as well and I think the reason I loved it so much was because he takes, like, a really hard, difficult topic and, like, makes it funny without dismissing the hard parts. So, like, he takes death and, like, makes it like a like an absurdist comedy, but also you still really feel all of the feelings around, like especially his wife's death, but like other things happen in the book too. Um, and it's been a while. I need to reread it. Um, I like, a de there's definitely parts that like maybe are not like as woke as we might perhaps like at this point. Like I'm remembering some scenes. I'm like, I can't remember how that was dealt with. Um, but I found it so funny and so emotionally satisfying. And there are a bunch of like explorations that he has in the city of San Francisco. So if you're from there, you'll probably recognize the neighborhoods. Um, so hopefully you got them right. I know that's always a complaint with people. They're like, this geography did not satisfy. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. not on that corner. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't know. So I don't know how accurate it is. But he does. I, I'm pretty sure Moore is from that area. So... Um, so again, that is A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. It's actually the first in a, there's a second one. Uh, there's a sequel, which I don't think I've read. Interesting. Um, okay. So yes, that is my, that is my pick. All right. Question four is from Eliza who says, what sci-fi books would you recommend to someone who loves Star Trek? I've of course read some of the novelizations, but I'd like to read some novels that are unconnected, but have a similar enough feel to Star Trek. I love space exploration, philosophy, and different alien races working together. But most of all, I love the idealized future. It seems every futuristic novel I read, we all live in a terrible future that is terrible. And look at how evil technology is. There are no words to describe how tired I am of that. Um, thanks in advance. Okay, uh, I took this one to the contributors also and got a recommendation that I am in the middle of reading and I'm really liking. And it's Shards of Honor by Louise McMaster-Pujolt. And this is the first book in the Vorkosigan. Am I saying that right? Vorkosigan uh, saga, mm -hmm. which is like... 15 books plus long. Um, so if you like the first one, there is so much for you out there. And the reason why I picked this is because it like has so much of the same feel of not just Star Trek, but a specific episode of Star Trek, which is the Dharma Congelata uh, Tanagra episode of Next Generation. Um, 
where I don't I don't have to explain like Star Trek to you, but like Picard gets stranded on an island with an alien who doesn't speak his like the same version of English, and they have to communicate anyway. It's uh, a great. It's like one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, so you should go watch it if you have not seen it. So in this book, Cordelia is the main character, and she is the captain of a survey crew, um, and I think she's from the her her civilization are called the betas so she's like she's the betan captain of this scientific crew that is surveying what they think is an uninhabited planet like they're doing species um scientific surveys and she is off doing like chores or something one morning and she comes back to see that her entire crew has been killed uh or some of them have made it off the planet uh in the middle of this attack but most of them are dead and her um camp is pretty much destroyed and so um she encounters the guy, man, this is hard to talk about without spoiling. Um, so she encounters Aral, who is um, a Vorkosigan, who is the, the other you know race that's like on this planet, which she was not aware of. They're from they're a very um, traditional, like militaristic um, society. And um, how do I? Hmm, I did not think this through. So she blames him, obviously, for, like, your people destroyed my team and have left you here. Like, where where have they gone? And she doesn't understand why, like, his crew would murder her crew and then leave him there. So he's obviously got secrets. Like, there's obviously something political going on, some machinations going on in the background. And he, all he wants to do is take her as his hostage now and get to, like, a supply cache with a communication radio so that he can get them off this planet. Um, and while they are traveling from the site of the attack to the cache where he has hidden food and communication stuff, um, they have to survive together. Like they together, they come under attack from other species that live on the planet. Um, they talk to each other, obviously, and discover um, that they, you know, as they do, have more in common. You know, very Star Trekky. They have more in common than they have differences. Um, and you start to find out a little bit more about how Verkosigan got in this position, what happened to his crew. Eventually, they start to fall for each other. Um, but it's got that that Star Trek kind of thing of can a person from a peaceful society really make a relationship of any kind, friendship or otherwise, with someone from a really militaristic background who thinks in very like paternalistic military ways? Um, like, is there any value to that sort of kind of warmongering society and then they they like solve it through talking which is what's the point of star trek is i think is like solving it through the talking also there are blasters like there are phasers um here so it's it's super star trekky um the tech in the book is just a tool like it's not this is not a book about how humanity created too much technology and now we're destroying ourselves so that's not a thing you need to worry about uh it's just like this is just how the world is and now these people are operating within it trying to be human beings or whatever species they come from. Um, so yeah, go check that out. It's interesting. That's Shards of Honor by Louise McMaster Bujold. That's a classic. Also, I did mm-hmm. not, I am delighted to find out the depth of your Star Trek love. Can I just say, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I didn't next, know. And I'm so next happy Next generation now. is Bay. I love it so much. Picard is like my first crush Aww. and remains to this day. Like, He's my he's my one true pick. Picard and me are my OTP. <laughs> <laughs> legit, legit. Um, okay, I picked Provenance by Anne Lucky because it is a very entertaining space opera that has alien races working together, a lot of technology, but the technology is not like special it's just like it's like how we have remote controls like they have technology it's just there and it does things um 
And it is just, a, I found it a full delight. Um, it's about a young woman who is named Engre, And she is from this, like, high-powered family. She and her brother are adopted. And the matriarch of the family is, like, a very highly placed political person. And she and her brother have been taught, basically, from the beginning to sort of compete for approval and attention and for their mother's, like, position. Like, when she retires or when she dies, like, who's going to inherit the power? And she and her brother have been competing for just ever and so her most recent plan is that she is going to regain these artifacts that were stolen from their planet they're like very important historical artifacts but the problem is is that the person who stole them is in like a prison planet so she hires someone to break this person out of prison planet so that they can then lead her to where the artifacts are hidden because everybody figures they're hidden they don't know where they are they were never recovered um and everything goes wrong like this is actually a terrible plan they they like they deliver her a prisoner but it's not the right one um and she's like okay we'll pretend to be the right one and we'll trick my brother into like digging up this sacred area because you're going to tell him that that's where you buried the artifacts and this guy is like I just want to get out of prison and like off of this world so like sure I'll go along with this um, things do not go well there's also a group of aliens visiting um, to investigate uh, like the history of a specific area and then one of them is murdered and so now there's like a whodunit on top of it there's a big conclave going on where they're trying to decide whether or not a like like artificial intelligence that has recently become sentient should be granted like basically like you know status as a political entity um so that plays into it like there's a ton of politics and like different alien races and like different like competing objectives and it's all very complicated and there's also really funny sequences and there's a lot of action there is a lot of action people do get shot and blown up and stuff um but really it is about like how do you work these dynamics? And Ingray succeeds not because she's like best with a blaster, but because she manages to like think on her feet and find solutions that are unorthodox, which is also very Star Trekky. So I just found it hugely entertaining and delightful. And Anne Leckie has a trilogy also that's like a sort of standalone but mildly connected. So if you like this one, there's more where that came from. So that's Provenance by Anne Leckie. Okay, before we carry on, I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor, which is Owlcrate. Owlcrate is a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door. Uh, every month, they send out a newly released YA novel, as well as a whole bunch of fun bookish goodies to go along with the book. There's a different theme every month, and the theme is unique every month. And a lot of the items that are included in the boxes are handmade, and they're from small businesses, uh, like small Etsy sellers. Most of them are exclusive, so you're not going to find them like anywhere else out on the bookish internet. Uh, Owlcrate's also started sending out books with exclusive cover designs that are made just for Owlcrate subscribers. So if you're like a, any kind of YA hardcover collector, this is definitely a box that you will want to keep in mind. Um, they've also recently launched a brand new book box for kids called Owlcrate Junior. Got a very similar concept but the books and the goodies are tailored to boys and girls ages 8 to 12 instead of, you know, YA. Um, and at least one of the three to five-ish, excuse me, bookish, like, items that are included in each Owlcrate Junior box is a usable activity. So, like, a toy that a kid can sit down and do to help them, to, like, encourage them to think creatively and um, use their imaginations and that sort of thing. So, if, uh, yeah, if that sounds interesting to you, which it does to me, I love, I love, like, book boxes. I love boxes with surprise stuff in them because they're just such a delight to open. They're so much fun. So go check out Owl Crate and thank you for sponsoring the show.
All right. Our next question is from Carrie, who says, uh, I would love some great biographies slash memoirs about women. I would prefer people of color or not already widely famous people. For example, I loved Stolen Lives, 20 Years in a Desert Jail by Malika Ofkir, uh, Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi, Unbowed by Wangari Mathai, and Mennonite in a Little Black Dress by Rhoda Jansen. Um, so I picked one that I didn't know about this. Like my women's studies friend were like, oh yeah, I totally know about her, but I, she was new to me. Um, I picked Lema Gaboe's memoir, Mighty Be Our Powers, How Sisterhood, Prayer, and Sex Changed a Nation at War. Um, she was an, or is an activist in Liberia who um, like in the middle of the civil war was part of a movement that brought women together, um, denied men sex, and they like sat in, they did a peaceful protest, like a mass action for peace. Um, it was a coalition of Christian, Christian and Muslim women, and it was part of ending the Liberian Civil War in the early 2000s. Um, and this memoir is fascinating um, because she was like she wasn't like her background never suggested that she would become part of such a huge movement. Um, she was a young mother. She was in a domestically violent relationship. Um, she didn't really have education. She didn't have money. Like how was she just going to get her own life together, much less, you know, help heal an entire nation um, and to stop a violent and brutal civil war. But she she does. She becomes part of the movement and she helps lead it to an actual peace agreement. And it was really inspiring and really fascinating. Um, she is a figure of some controversy. As you like see throughout the book, she starts to talk about like divisions within the movement. Of course, she's giving her perspective. There's other perspectives out there to look up if you're interested in reading more. But yeah, I found it really inspiring and really fascinating and very readable. Um, there's obviously some tough stuff in here. Um, she's a woman in, you know, in the middle of of a very violent civil war. She suffered from domestic abuse. So, you know, there's a lot of triggers here, but um, I definitely recommend it. So that is Mighty Be Our Powers uh, by Lema Gaboi with Carol Mithers. Okay, I picked a book that I read in college, um, that I was assigned in college, that I really loved and is now kind of a classic of Chinese history, and that's Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China by Zhong Cheng. And so this is a memoir um, and also biography, kind of combination, like family memoir, I guess, um, about Zheng Cheng's family, the three women, three generations of women in China during the communist, uh, like the height of Mao's communist, I don't know, regime. Uh, so it's about Zheng's grandmother, who was a concubine to a warlord. Like when she was a child, she was sold uh, to be a concubine to this warlord. And then her mother, uh, Zheng's mother, who was a really idealistic communist as a, well, adult as a person <laughs> all throughout her adulthood um and uh, was married and her and her husband were like rank ranking officials of the communist party um they really had a terrible struggle like and ordeal during the cultural uh, the cultural revolution and then Cheng herself uh, was a red guard when she was a teenager um now she's a naturalized british citizen but it's uh about her kind of growing up and looking back on her family and in, and in telling the story of these three generations of women in 20th century China, she's really telling the story of 20th century China, right? So like her, her grandmother was alive before the communists took over um, and then watched that happen. And then her mother really supported that change. And then Joan herself had to kind of live with the consequences and the country that was left after the cultural revolution, which was entirely different from the one that they had before that, which is of course entirely different from the one that they had before Mao came into power at all. Um, so it's very, 
dramatic uh, as one would expect. It's also pretty violent. Like there's a lot of, you know, revolutionary violence. So if that's a thing that bothers you, which I don't think it is based on the other books that you've listed that you have liked. Um, but the the way that, that Chang has of telling this story of what happened to the people of China throughout this political revolution by using her own family is just so like brilliant and really touching, like touching in a, I don't know, touching is the wrong word. That's too like, meh, it's, uh, I don't know. Compelling, Perfect. I guess is the better, like cry making, <laughs> frightening, <laughs> scary. Crying. Like, it's all of these things. You're going to have a lot of feelings. Um, but yeah, this is a super big bestseller. Uh, you might've read it already, but somehow like, I don't know why it's not talked about more. I hear about it a lot in, uh, I, like more academic circles of my friends who are really into history, but not generally, but it is, you know, it is a bestseller. It sold like 10 million copies or something crazy like that, but it's fascinating and I really enjoyed it. So it's Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China by Zhang Cheng. Okay, it is me. Uh, this question is from Virginia who says, I'm in a search for bisexual characters in literature who actually call themselves bi. Too often authors try to skirt around the word. I'm bisexual myself and I'm craving, craving representation. I find so many gay and lesbian characters, but rarely bi. I don't mind if the character is in a same sex or opposite sex relationship, but I would just really like to read about a bi character. Also, while I would love to see bi women, I encounter bi women much more than I encounter bi men. So I would appreciate it if your suggestions had both genders, if that is at all possible. Okay, I'm just gonna keep going. Um, I picked a recent release, this came out last year. It's The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. I will say that the book doesn't, I don't recall it at all saying, using the word bisexual on the page, but it takes place in the 1700s. So like that word was not, I, not around, but he is like the main character is very obviously bisexual. It is stated very explicitly that he is sexually attracted and romantically attracted to both men and women. So the main character's name is Henry um, Monty is what he goes by. And he is the son of a mm, fancy pants uh, Earl or something like that. Like he's the, the son of a fancy pants, uh, some sort of gentleman type right, aristocrat in, in England. Um, and he's just, you know, a rake in the making. I think he's 17 when the book opens or 16. Um, and he's just in constant trouble from his father because, you know, he drinks too much and sleeps around with both men and women, which is a problem for his father, um, both the sleeping around and the men and the women part gambling halls, you know, as one does when one is this rich white 17 year old in the 1700s. Um, and so he is embarking on a grand tour of Europe, um, at his father's not order, like at his father is commanding him to spend his last year before adulthood, uh, going on a grand tour of Europe, uh, with a tutor who's going to like watch him like a hawk in order to like, hopefully straighten himself out in more ways than one. And, uh, accompanying him on this trip is his sister who is very bookish and like blue stockingy and not that interesting to Monty and his best friend, Percy, um, who is biracial. And so he experiences his own kind of problems as they are both in England and as they're traveling, um, throughout Europe. Um, and <laughs> of course, when they get to the continent, things kind of fall apart. They get in, uh, a lot of trouble in France. Monty causes some problems with his behavior um, for like French royalty. And then they have to like go on the run from French royalty and it, there are pirates involved. There's a lot of like seafaring. His sister turns out to be like kind of a brilliant medical science, like medical mind. Um, there's a side plot about one of the main character's disabilities that I'm not going to give away because um, it like kind of shapes where they end up. And it's really just about this kid finding himself and then being cool with what he finds because what he finds is completely unacceptable to his family and often society at large and like loving who he wants to love. But at the same time, it's just like this swashbuckling fun 
I mean, there are pirates. There's so many pirates in this show. I don't know what to tell you. There's a lot of pirates. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. I really liked it. So that's The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. I also have a swashbuckling one for you. Um, before I dig into it, though, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. Um, we had a roundup post uh, 100 must-read bisexual books earlier this year, so you will find um, some good reading options in there as well. Um, I picked Swords Point by Ellen Kushner because I've just been looking for an excuse to read this book, and you gave me one. Um, it takes place in sort of a unspecified city in an unspecified country that's like very sort of regency like old paris old london inspired old new york even um and you bop around between a bunch of different main characters most of whom are male um and it's like third person subjective so you you kind of get inside their heads a little bit but it's not first person and two of the major pov characters are bisexual um it is not again like this is like oldie times so they don't use the word but there are there's like no bones made about in particular the character michael's sexuality like he's like i just climbed out of this noble lady's window and now I'm gonna go sleep with this guy like he's like very he is um very uh what's the word I want like louche um and kind of sort of shallow and he is at a, a party for a duchess and she sort of intrigues him um he's attracted to her he wants her to like have an affair with him but she sort of challenges him intellectually as well and it's the first time that he's been sort of challenged intellectually and it sends him down this path to become a swordsman so in this society there are like the fancy pants aristocracy and then there are um they hire swordsmen like expert swords persons to fight <laughs> duels on their behalf. So like when you call out another lord, like you send your swordsmen and they like can put up their swordsmen and whoever like kills or wins the duel, like you know, the political power accrues accordingly. And so our other POV character that's sort of the main one is Richard St. Vere, who is a like absolute swords master. Like he is, you know, unbeatable. Um the book opens with him killing two other swordsmen in the course of a garden party because that's what he was hired to do. Um and he he is uh, in a relationship with this man who appears to be a student, but like it's clear that there's some secrets about him who's very unhinged. Like he's depressed and like has suicidal ideation and is constantly picking fights. So Richard is just like following him around, like killing people who insult him. It's very bloody. There's like a lot of, there's a lot of sordy death in here. Um, but what's so fun about this, but like I just got so sicked into it, is that like there are political machinations, there are like romantic machinations, there are people who are like, you know, trying to manipulate other people, and you're like, who's on which side? And what is happening? And like, who has actually hired him for this job? Like, there's a lot of big like who is doing what like who's on the level and who's lying um going on in this book which makes it just so immersive and the characters are really well done I wouldn't expect that you could switch POV this many as many times as this book does and still retain sort of that um 
deeper connection to the characters, but I was so invested in all of them, including Michael, who, when you first meet him, like I said, is kind of shallow, and you're like, oh, you're not that interesting, but he becomes so interesting. Um, And this is the first in a whole bunch of books that I now have uh, to find other excuses to read, because very entertaining. Um, And if you get the most recent edition, there are three, like, bonus stories at the end that take place in the same world and clarify some things. And yeah, it's just like a really great adventure story about people who sleep with lots of other people. And I was here for it. And I think you might be too. So that's Swords Point by Ellen Kushner. And the next question is me. Okay, so this is from Becky, who says, I'm wondering if you can recommend some books set in the Middle East. I recently read When the Moon is Low by Nadia Hashimi and loved it. I'd particularly like books told from the perspective of a female character. Thanks. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked a book that came out today. Huzzah! Uh, And this is a middle grade book, so I thought that would be an interesting kind of change from the adult-y stuff. Uh, It's called Escape from Aleppo. It's by N.H. Senzai. And this is about a little girl named Nadia who is 12 and lives in, as you would guess, Aleppo in Syria. Excuse me. Of course, this is, like, inspired by what's happening in Syria right now, um, told from the perspective of a girl who lives there and has lived in Aleppo her entire life. So um, it kind of, it, like, opens on her birthday uh, before the civil war in Syria has really begun, and she, it opens with, like, a, they're her family sitting around watching the news as a vegetable vendor in Tunis sets himself on fire, burns himself alive to protest corrupt government um, practices, which is, if you remember, what happened, you know, I think in like early in 2010 and was one of the big things that started the Arab Spring um, the revolutions across that region. And so you follow Nadia from that, from like the perspective of a kid watching all of these things happen and watching the adults in her life get more and more worried and get more and more political and, um, secretly because you can't really be openly political in Syria. Well, depending on what your politics are. Um, and then, uh, eventually the, the civil war breaks out and some of her family goes missing. Her apartment building gets bombed and they have to flee. So they've decided that there's nothing left for them in this city. Um, except, you know, possibly dying, like food is gone. They don't have any water. Um, so they decide to leave and she gets separated from her family. When the book opens, a bomb is dropped as they're like leaving their apartment building, a bomb is dropped and it explodes and she gets stuck under a car as the rest of her family is leaving. And so they get separated. Um, and she finds a note from them and like the place they were supposed to meet up that instructs her like where to go, uh, that they've left. Uh, they don't know if she's alive or dead. So they're just kind of hoping that she gets it and she has to make her way to the, the border of, uh, Turkey. Um, from Syria. And so you are with her as she does that. Like she's this brilliant kid. She's super resourceful and smart. Um, she meets, she like recognizes which people she meets along the way will help her and which are like, which she should avoid, who are, who's dangerous. She meets other children uh, who are, uh, who've been separated from their family, who have lost their family, who've like created their own little miniature societies trying to survive together. Um, people helping each other. Uh, like it's a really, of course, it's affecting and heartbreaking and all of those things. But since you're seeing it from the point of view of this kid who's like, well, I'm just going to do it. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to find my family. Everything's going to be fine. You're kind of like, yeah, all right. Um, but if you don't know anything about, or not anything, I don't know how any of us could not know anything about what's happening in Syria. But if you are lacking kind of the generalized background of maybe how the country got to where it is today um, and why there's such a big refugee crisis coming out of Syria right now, 
it's really helpful. Like the author was very obviously writing this for for audiences who aren't from the Middle East, who probably don't have the the cultural historical background to really understand the nuances of what's happening in that country, and not just how like their government is a threat to the people, but how like outside international interference is a threat from the people and how the rebels are also a threat to the people. So like regular citizens who just live in Syria are being inundated on all sides from just oppressive, really deadly um, outside influences. It's just fascinating. And there's a lot of, the way that she writes it is like, you know, the characters have conversations, their dialogue is crafted to give you background information about current events and like that sort of thing. It's, it's educational um, in a really helpful way, especially for kids, because obviously this is a middle grade book. So like if you've got kids who've been watching the news and have questions about what's going on, I think this would be a good thing to give them. Also grownups, because I am 33 and I still found it really informative. Um, and not it's not a fun read, but like you are in it with this kid and you like want her to make it. So that's Escape from Aleppo by N.H. Senzai. I picked a book I am halfway through right now. Um, it is An Unnecessary Woman by Rabih Alamedine, which I have been wanting to read since, well, really for a long time. I have been hearing such good things about it. And then Malka Older uh, recommended it on our recommended podcast. Um, and so this was a thank you, a great excuse to finally dip into it. And it is about an older woman um, living alone in Beirut who is like sort of extraneous to society because she is not religious. Um, She doesn't, her father is dead. She's divorced and she doesn't have a child. So like her family ties are very sort of lacking. Um, And she just lives a very solitary life. Every year she translates a new favorite book into Arabic, but then like packs it away in a box. Like she's never been published. Nobody else has ever read her stuff, but she's translated 37 books. Um, And she, you enter her life right around the new year, actually, this was the perfect time to start this book, when she's contemplating what her newest project is going to be. And she's also sort of thinking back about her life um, and remembering like, you know, because Beirut has had a very complicated political past. Um, There's the Lebanese Civil War, like, and she personally has had a lot of, you know, like she's divorced. So what was her marriage like? So you get a look at her past. And then in the present, Um, her family is trying to move her very aging mother in with her and she's like not having it. Um, So she's fighting with her family. She is looking back at her past and she's thinking about what she's going to translate. And like, that's the plot. And it's, it's a really meandering book. Like it kind of, you know, twists and turns and winds and it's, it's, it's quiet in a really beautiful way. And then you get to a sequence that has like a really intense moment in it. And it, that is, it's that much more powerful because it's set against this sort of a little bit dreamy backdrop. Um, I am just loving it. Alamedine is an amazing writer, um, and this is such an interesting concept. It is definitely, like Malka Older said this in her recommendation, like it's a book that makes you want to read the books that she's translating too. So you'll come out of it with like a bunch of other books that you might be interested in. And um, yeah, it's like a really compelling sort of slice of life over this one woman's lifetime um, about Beirut uh, and in Lebanon. So I think this definitely matches what you're looking for. Um, I'm just loving it. So that's An Unnecessary Woman by Rabia Alamedine. That's our show. That's our show. Hooray. First one First of 2018. Down. In the can. <laughs> 
51 more to go. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, please do leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Um, thank you to our sponsors for uh, sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media if you want to give us any feedback or what have you. I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson. And where are you, Jen? You can find me on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And that's Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week.